So y'all tell me what y'all been getting out of this precious Bible you behold in your hand tonight that you've been reading from and seeking the will of the Lord and and listening for his voice. And we've had some folks that started some new jobs. How's it going, Keith? Man, it's going good. Good. Long? Yeah. Work. Remember what God told Adam? That it's a reminder of, of the fall. Every time you got to work, do something. It's just another reminder that we're fallen creatures. And that by God's mercy and grace, he's provided redemption for us. Amen? It's just another reminder. Every time one of them thorns get stuck in your hand or you're out there in the woods or working in your garden and you get a thistle, get you here and there or scratch, just another reminder that we live in a, in a fallen world. Uh, but praise God for Jesus. Amen. And thank the Lord for the little bit of water that has fallen upon us thus far. Especially everybody's put seed in the ground, huh? And I th they're calling for a little more rain tonight, so that'll be good. And uh, we we hope it does come in. And uh, all all will work well. So y'all tell me, what y'all been reading in the Word? Don't be shaken by. Don't be troubled by what you see. Don't let it ruin you. Because it, it, it perilous times are coming, he says. And it's only going to get worse. So don't, don't let it get you moved off course of what I've called you to do. So we can see in chapter 24, it gives us some good pictures of the fact that they're predictable. The times we're in have been predicted, been told, foretold by, by the Lord. They're perilous times, and they're only going to get worse. They're not going to get better. That doesn't mean we walk around with our head down. We, we got great hope, right? We have the answer, and that's why they precious times. Because what did he say? That this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations, and then the end will come. So we have a mandate in these predictable, perilous times that are precious to the church. We have an answer. Because he keeps telling us it's going to be bad. There's going to be a lot of deception that goes forth. They're going to deceive many. And if it were even possible, even those that belong to the Lord would be deceived. He described them as the elect. He said if it were possible, even they would be deceived. But that's not a possibility. So that's great hope, isn't it? Yeah. That these false Christ and false prophets are not going to uh, deceive, even with such strong delusion and deception, um, are not going to deceive those who belong to the Lord. And um, thank, thank God for that. Now, can you be misled at times? Can you be taken off course? Yes, but in, in reference to what the context is dealing with, you're not going to abandon the Lord. That's not going to happen because remember what he said, those who endure to the end shall be saved. Now, is it the enduring that saves us? No, it's the evidence. That's the part of uh, just a portion of the evidence. But nonetheless, it is proof positive that those who belong to the Lord do persevere, endure to the end. Because of God's grace. Amen. Not, a, not because of us. Because of Him. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what does it say around it? What's a few verses say around it? 
Yeah, in the same context. Read, read about two or three verses before it and two or three verses afterwards. See what it says. Okay. What some would refer to that in, in, the, in the idea would be some sort of an apostasy. That is, of a falling away of those who claim to belong to the Lord and would, would fall, fall away. But it also has the idea, the, the connotation of this perilous times, these, this tribulation type time. It's going to be lawlessness. That, that means no restraint is going to abound. And as a result thereof, people are going to be out for their own. And therefore, the love of many, that would be even meaning in the world, the love of many, even in the world where, you know, Jesus taught us that when people love you, it's easy for you to love back, right? He said even the Gentiles do that. You, there's no reward in, in loving those who love you. you there's no, there's no, nothing you gain from that. Given to those that give to you, uh, being good to those that are good to you, anybody can do that. That doesn't take the Spirit of God living in you. It doesn't take the Word of God. And so he's saying that even in this world we live in, that natural affection that people have for one another, people have for family members, people have for friends, because lawlessness is going to abound. It's going to be bad. People are just, it's, it's chaos, anarchy type thing, it, it, that's the setting that he's painting. It's going, to be a ba- it's going to be a bad time. There will be people who claim to be believers who will be manifesting that they wasn't because they're not going to do it or they're going to fall away. Uh, just professions are not going to amount to anything. And the, the world as, a, as itself will be, will be uh, really even at chaos amongst itself. And there will be love of many will grow cold. And therefore, people won't have no trouble killing you. Obviously, this time has not taken place yet. Because he says it's the worst time that's ever been or ever will be. So, we're not in it yet. It hadn't happened yet. It's to come. That, that, that is a key word when he says it's, it's, there's been no time prior to that and there's, or ever will be. So we're talking about something really, really severe and significant. And when God's hand is taken off, when we refer lawlessness abounds, that's saying that even in cultures today when there's an absence of God within a Christian community, there is still the, the, the restraint of, of moral law upon the hearts of men, that God still restrains men from utter chaos but there's going to come a point at this time where it's as if God pulls back and just lets man have it to themselves that's part of the judgment that's going to be part of the wrath and Satan is free to do things so he is released to do more than what he's even been doing since the beginning of time God gives him liberty because of the judgment that he places upon the earth it's a time that no man's ever seen before. So to accurately understand it, we, we, it'd be very difficult because it's never been that bad and it won't never be after that because then we're going to see the, the closing out of, of, of time uh, when that time comes.
From history, I mean, if you tracked history and, and, and read of, of Bible students and people who've wrote, written on these verses, even in their day, as, as we see it, it was bad, but not like it is today. They still tried to fit themselves in there that they were living in. And they were. I mean, they were living because Jesus said we're living in the last days. He, he the Apostle Paul, we're, we've been in the last days since the coming of Christ. So these last days have continued, and they will continue until he brings a close to it, but there's still worse things yet to come. And he, he tells us, when he gives the illustration around, you know, you notice, you notice the fig tree when it bears its leaves. Some people will teach that in relationship to Israel. But of the other Gospels, if you read them, he not only refers to the fig tree, but he refers to all trees. So I don't necessarily teach myself that that's a direct reference to Israel as much as it is discerning the times. Meaning, we as people naturally know when the leaves start coming on the trees, we're in a certain season of time. Fruit is going to follow eventually. It's coming and we're in, a, we're in that season. We're saying when you see these events start taking place, you ought to know you in this season, that it's, it's near, the, the end is coming. And uh, so I, I think, because matter of fact, let's look at that and cross it over. Look at Matthew 24, and we're going to see what the other gospels say about it and, and see if this helps us any. Matthew 24, what verse is that? No, not that one, um, about the seed. Verse 32 says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. That's an indicator. That's an indicator from nature that when the leaves start budding, you know summer's getting close. Springtime summertime it's coming just like with us you know you see the red buds start budding out pretty you know we, we're getting close when the dogwoods start blooming the old gobblers start talking to us right white perch start biting you get it you you can discern the times well let's cross this over and look in mark 13 look in mark 13 and see what mark says about it Mark 13, 28, I believe, somewhere around in there. Verse 28 says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near. So it's, it, he's telling us it's a sign in comparison to what is in nature. I've given you these details. When you start seeing these details come to pass, you know it's near just like you're observing the fig tree. Well, let's go over the Luke 21. Luke 21 and verse 29. Everybody follow me thus far? Luke 21, 29. Let's see what Luke says about it.
verse 29. Then he, verse 29 of chapter 21, then he spoke to them a parable and said, Look at the fig trees and what? All the trees. So he, he's, he's using just a simple, natural illustration that everybody would be familiar and common with that when the, when the leaves start budding, you know summertime is, is drawing near. Well, everything that I've told you thus far, when you see these things come to pass, you know the time is drawing near. And that's what I believe this, this illustration or parable is in reference to. Verse 30, And when they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, Know that the kingdom of God is near. And I surely I say to you, this generation, the generation that is living when they see these things happening, will no by means pass away till all things take place. So one generation will see it all manifest. He's not talking about the people who he was talking to then. He's talking about a future day. When all these signs come to pass as one generation, one group of people of, in history that are going are gonna to see all this come to pass and be alive when, when this happens. That, that would be the teaching that Matthew 24 is helping us with. Mark 13 and Luke 21 is just pulling all this together and see that this one generation. Now, could we be on the verge of these things? Of course we could be. There's no doubt about it. And the, t the scriptures teach us that we're to be looking for the Lord. You know, that, that, that's, that's our objective. By grace, the scripture teaches us to look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Amen? And I think when you really evaluate Mark 20, I mean Matthew 24, Go back and look at Matthew 24 again. Let me, let me help you with this. I think this will help you. It helps me get the message. We've talked about this, I'm sure, before in the past when we've read through these things. Notice what he says, starting in verse number 4. And I, I want us to, I'm going to read through it. And every time he gives them a warning about deception and false prophets and deceivers and false Christ, I want you all to make a note of it and let's count it. Okay, let's see how many times he does it and let's see the pattern that he's unfolding. Remember, when God gives you several times a particular thought process, that's a pattern. He wants you to pick up on it. So let's start reading in verse number 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed, that is, you take responsibility yourself. Take heed that no one deceives you. All right, I would make note of that. That's, 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 number, that's number one. That's easy. I can count up the number one. Amen. Y'all help me with the rest. Verse 5 says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will what? Deceive many. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
For nation will rise against nation. That's, that's natural. It's going to happen. Kingdoms against kingdoms. That's going to take place. Don't be threatened. And there will be famines and there will be pestilence and there will be earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. It's the beginning. That's it. Like a woman going into labor. Contractions hit. It's the beginning. She's got a ways to go, right, ladies? Got a ways to go. Verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets, that we're talking about deception, right? So how, what, let's make a note of that. False prophets, what is that? That's number three or what? Number three. Will rise up and deceive many. Okay, so let, we, we coupling that together. That's number three. False prophets to deceive. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this good news, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetops not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant. And to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. So that's a big indicator for us. We've talked about that already. Verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone say, says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders. For what purpose? To deceive, if possible, even the elect. So we're talking about legitimate signs and wonders that take place. Things you can't deny. They happen as they say they happen. Verse 25, see, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes forth from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds 
from one end of heaven to the other. And now learn this parable from the fig tree. We just read that. Let's go on a little bit further. Verse 36. But of that day and hour when this is going to happen, not even the angels of heaven, no one knows but my Father only. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered in the ark. People did what they normally would do with no regard to eternity. They'll just keep going along as they always had. Verse 39, And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he'd have his gun ready. He would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. Watch and be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Okay, now tell me, how many times did we have the, the idea mentioned in reference to deception and false prophets? Four specific times in just those few verses with words like warning, be ready, don't be shaken or troubled by these things. And then he throws out this, this, this question. Watch. In the next verse, verse 45. Who then, who then is faithful? Who then is faithful and a wise servant? Now he's helping you. Not only helping you understanding that there's going to be deceivers, but now he's fixing to give three parables or three illustrations to explain who is faithful and a wise servant that you can walk with and trust on this journey with the Lord. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made rule over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, finds him doing what he left him to do. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him at an hour that he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Therefore, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is what he's helping us with. He's done told us about deceivers, 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 deceivers. And then he poses the question, well, who then can you trust? And now he's explaining it. That's the way I, 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 I and that's how I view these passages in Matthew 24 and 25. They are tied together. Remember, when this was written, it wasn't chapter 25. There was no chapter. It was all together. There was no breaks in this. And what he's doing is he showing us who then is a faithful and wise servant. You just told us who not to trust, who will try to deceive us. There's going to be many deceivers, but who can you trust? And this is what these passages are teaching us. Get into chapter 25, he then gets into the kingdom, 
And the idea of the kingdom of heaven is going to be like unto the ten virgins. You're going to have the five that were unwise and five that was wise. The five that was wise was ready. They were invested. They were interested in the, in the bridegroom. They were ready. They did whatever was necessary to be ready. We're well, saying that's the type of people you want to trust. That's the people you work with in the kingdom, people who are invested, people who are interested, people who are involved. They're looking for the bridegroom to come. they prepared for him. They're willing to do whatever they got to do to pull resources out of their pocket to be ready. They don't want to be caught off guard. That's the kind of people you trust. And then he gets in. In verse 14 and the rest of down to verse 30 about the talents. Those who are, who are investing the resources that God's given them into the kingdom. They, 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 they're wanting to increase and multiply. They're wanting to see God's glory manifested, lifted up, exalted. And they're not just going to put the stuff away and say, oh, he... He, he's just a shrewd kind of guy. He, 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 he takes everybody else's stuff, so I'm just going to keep what he gave me, and when he comes back, I'll give him that. That's not the kind of people you want to entrust yourself with or walk, walk alongside. Amen? Amen. And, and, and when you tie these together, that is the essence. That's what I teach. That's what I believe. That's what I practice. This is the essence of what Matthew 24 and the first part of 25 is all about. There will be many deceivers, much deception, false prophets. All these things are going to happen. So now let me tell you who can you work with and that you can entrust yourself to. Those who are doing what the master told them to do because they care for the master and his people. Those who are willing to invest whatever it takes to be ready for him when he comes, the, the five wise virgins. And then those who take what God gives them and increases and multiplies it. They are doing work to advance his name and his namesake for his glory. That's the people who you can trust. Everybody else, they don't fit in that category. Amen? And that's the essence. I think that, that's how I teach it. That's how I read it. And I don't get into every little detail of these, these illustrations or parables. Because and the reason why, because he doesn't explain them. We've got to be cautious. Anytime Jesus gives you a parable, he told us already in Matthew, remember, I don't speak to them in parables. Didn't he say that, Brother Shannon? I don't speak to the world in parables so that they hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. I only speak to my disciples who come to me, and then I'll explain to them what I just told them in this parable. And there's only a couple parables that he gives us explanation for. So we've got to be real cautious. There's people who've built what you would call their whole theological thinking based on a parable. That Jesus didn't give no enlightenment on exactly what the parable meant. So there's a lot of assumption you can come up with to say what it meant. And they build their whole base off of it. Matter of fact, there's some popular preachers out there on the radio that use Matthew chapter 25 in reference to the parables of the talents that are way off base because they take every little detail of the parable and say, for an example, Jesus described them all as his servants. So every one of them was a servant. So that meant that every one of them belonged to the Lord. And because every one of them belonged to the Lord, how then do I explain the one that gets out with gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness? Well, that guy belonged to Jesus. He was saved, but he's really in a position like purgatory. He can't enter into the city gates, but he can see what's going on. He's in darkness, but he's not in, 
He's not in torment like hell, but he's on the outside of the gate. I mean, popular preachers that you've heard that you like, like Tony Evans, teaches that based off of these principles. Mm -hmm. I've heard him teach it, and that's the only reason I say that, because it's, it's trying to illustrate every distinct point in the parable when I don't think that person, that's not what the message is about. The message is a simple message of just saying, whatever God gives you, you invest it to, to, to advance his namesake for his glory and for the kingdom's good. And not getting into the fact that, well, is this, if he called him a servant, but the man went and buried his goods, and now he's in the weeping and gnashing of teeth on the outside. Because notice, that's what he explained. That's what he says about it. Let's see. Look in verse number 24 or 25. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. Number one, that wouldn't be the heartbeat of a true servant of the Lord Jesus. He wouldn't, he, that's not the way he thinks, right? Verse 25, And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there. There it is. What is yours? But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So, and with that thought press, thought process, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would at least receive some kind of interest. And verse 28 says, Therefore take the talent from him, give it to the man that has ten talents, for to everyone who has more will be given, and he who has an abundance but from him who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken from him. Cast this unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and what, what some people have done, they take that one word, servant, because they want to cling to the fact that if, if he was ever a servant, he's always a servant. That would have to be talking about a, a born-again person that just didn't do what they were supposed to do, so they don't get the full reward of heaven. Matter of fact, they're on the outside looking in if it's a servant. But that's not the point of the message that he's trying to get across. He's just using an illustration of servants of a normal man who gave normal men their goods and only two put those goods back in the work and one didn't. So the point he's making is, is that my servants are profitable servants. They're to be used to advance my name and my kingdom. And that's the type of people you entrust yourself with. These other folks are only deceivers and false prophets and false messengers. So I believe you can't read chapter 25 in the first part without reading chapter 24 and pulling it together because they all fit together. He's illustrating who is faithful and wise. That's what he's doing. Amen. That's, that's, that's what I'm going to I'm going to stick to it. Amen. Who is faithful and wise? If Jesus ever asks you who is faithful and wise, it ain't like he needs you to tell him. He's fixing to tell you. That's all he's fixing to do. He's going to tell you who to look for and what to look in people to know. And that's the, that's, that's the essence of the message. Mm -hmm. Because it illustrates eight 
You don't take every detail. Unless he gives you more detail on the parable, like right. the parable of the soil and the sower, yeah. the four types of soil and the seed that is sown. He explains that. He, he helps us see that. We can, that's clear to us. But some things he doesn't make clear. But the scripture does say that he explained every parable that he talked to the general public, he explained in private to his people. Even though the scripture doesn't give us what he explained to them, he still explained it. That, that's, that's, that's fundamental. That's why we, we've got to be cautious on, on running with a parable and making our whole theological base on based on that, and you're dangerous. You can get dangerous with with that. Amen. Amen. Somebody tell me what time it is, because I sure enough left my watch. Six fifty-eight. Now my stomach, my clock was working. <laughs> Just I didn't have my watch on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Peter addresses that. Peter, Peter says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Even though the world says he is and says, look, where is he? He hadn't come yet. Let's just keep on doing what we've done. He said, don't pay any attention to them. The Lord is not slack. He's going to come. He's going to fulfill his promise. And you see, grace, that's... Yeah, we, we, I've quoted this a thousand times since I've been here. We've looked at it all the time. Uh, Titus 2, 11 through 13, 14. The grace of God that, is, that brings salvation, that has appeared to all men, the Scripture says. It says it instructs us, it teaches us how to deny ourselves, how to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust, and to say Yes to righteousness and godly living. And how to look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless or wicked deed, that he might purify for himself his own peculiar people who are zealous for good work. That's what grace teaches us. So grace, when grace is at work in us, grace is always teaching us to deny Nick, to say yes to Jesus, and to be looking for him to come, to be waiting on him. And if that's not happening with me, I am, I am nullifying the grace of God at work in me. I am, I am resisting that work of grace because that's what grace is going to teach me to do. I'm, I'm rebelling toward that if, if not because grace is going to teach you those things. It's going to teach you how to live for the glory of God and how to look for Jesus every time. That's the aim. That's the agenda. And I believe that all teaching, if it's grace teaching, is going to have that aim, teach you how to say no to self and how to look for Jesus. In his return, looking to him, it's, it's just it's going to deal with with the essence of what salvation is in Christ. It's going to teach you not to feed the flesh, 
and how to look for the return. That's the agenda. And anybody that's teaching under the Spirit, which would be in the essence of grace, is going to teach that. That, that is going to be a, a, a dominant theme in their teaching, how to deny yourself and to look for Jesus' return. And if you don't hear that other than just buttering yourself up and feeding your flesh, it ain't of grace. It ain't of God. It ain't of God.